Hi, I'm Brian Strauss, co-founder of Demand Collective and host of the Collective Wisdom podcast. Collective Wisdom is a demand generation podcast brought to you by Demand Collective, a hyper-vetted community of demand gen and revenue marketers. Apply to join online at demandcollective.io. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of Collective Wisdom by Demand Collective. Today, I'm joined by Andy Binkley, founder of Toriel, a product tour marketing platform designed to help B2B SaaS marketers take control of the product video creation process. Andy has served as leader of Toriel for over four years and has 10 years in marketing experience across disciplines like marketing analytics, as well as front-end development. Thanks for joining us, Andy. How are you doing today? Good, Brian. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, yeah. So you uh, you began as a marketing manager at Response Mind Interactive, and you took on some other marketing roles along the way. Can you walk us through your journey as a marketer and how you got your start and eventually founded Toriel? Yeah, probably the same way that every other marketer did, just kind of fell into it, right? I didn't go to school for marketing. I did go to school for advertising, but uh, media, but not like specifically marketing. So yeah, I found a really cool job at Response Mind here in Atlanta doing mostly SEO, um, kind of branched out, did a lot of other stuff because I had a great boss who just kind of let me tinker around. Uh, yeah, did a lot of SEO, learned a lot of technical stuff, the ins and outs, web development, all that stuff. Uh, for a lot of marketers, I would say like one of the best things you can do is start at an agency because you just get so much uh, experience. You kind of get thrown all around, but in a good way, and you're willing to put in a lot of that work. So yeah, did that for a few years, paid search, uh, lots of website stuff. And then from there went to, uh, got my start in, in SaaS specifically in-house uh, with, with Gather, where I uh, ran all the paid search, all the SEO, again, did a lot of other stuff as well. And then eventually kind of under, you know, over the years that I was there, understood the SaaS industry kind of got a sense of, you know, PLG was taking over or it was, you know, becoming a big thing, yeah. rightfully so. Uh, we were a very sales-led organization, like most SaaS companies at the time, and honestly still today. And yeah, it was uh, one of those situations where I had seen an example of like an interactive demo out there in the wild that somebody had custom built. Yeah. And and I didn't steal it, but I definitely borrowed the concept of it. I like both and off. Yeah, it really did. It really did. I saw that for the first time and I was like, okay, this is definitely going to be the future of software in, in some sense of marketing sales, CS, all go to market <clears throat> components. So yeah, I uh spent a few months doing a little bit more research, trying to validate it internally. Then I left and decided to start Toriel. And yeah, I know you kind of mentioned a little bit of front end experience. Uh, I've always loved to code. It's been like yeah. my tinkering around kind of passion that I've always loved to do. And I took it as an opportunity to build the first version of Toriel on my own. Mm -hmm. um, that that was probably my favorite nine or ten months of my life because I was just like. Yeah. in the zone nonstop, just learning how to code. It was just a constant state of flow. So that was, that was awesome. And then, you know, eventually you got to actually turn it into a business and do things. So that's yeah. where uh, we ended up 
hiring uh, our first engineer and, you know, started hiring ever since getting customers, all that fun stuff. So that kind of brings us to today. I think, yeah, almost, almost four years now since, since that's been, uh, since that's been started. Yeah. That's amazing. Do you, so do you feel like given your background in marketing, do you feel like that's informed how you've built the company over time? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, maybe to a fault, honestly, like sometimes I think, well, you know, if I wasn't a marketer, I'd probably be a little bit more, I'd, I'd be a little bit more involved with, uh, customers and, uh, the industry, not that I'm not, I definitely talk to customers all the time, but so much of the thought process and the ideation kind of just comes from past experiences, mm -hmm. uh, which is really good for like ideation development and kind of like creating really good velocity for just ideas in general. So, so that's been good, but yeah, I think, uh, it's definitely driven a lot of the direction of the product. I think we've actually probably, uh, we haven't over-invested in marketing, but we've probably, we're to the point now where we're going to start investing in sales solution a lot more. And especially with a product like this, it's become one of those things where it's really easy to get distracted because everybody wants to use it for every single little use case under the sun. Right. So it's been, it's been really interesting to see all those use cases, figure out how to message and approach and position ourselves for those use cases. It's mm -hmm. also a very competitive category and everyone's kind of zeroing in on a bunch of different solutions, specific use cases. So yeah, but you know, to answer your question, yes, uh, marketing experience has definitely uh, driven the product forward and also allowed us to be very consultative with customers. I think being a new category, there's yeah. so many questions that come up. Um, so like what to build is like 10% of it, but how you communicate and decide what the strategy should be that customers should execute on. That's actually been what has been the most beneficial where you can just jump on a call with customers and you can just talk shop, talk the industry, get on their level, build that trust. Um, that has probably been the most beneficial. And then obviously, you know, teaching the whole company how to yeah. think that way. So you that's don't realize, that's... sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, you just, you don't realize how dense marketing is until you actually have to really talk strategy with <laughs> people and yeah, the lack of the lack of ROI and attribution and just like the very high level stuff that is hard to account for while also asking for a lot of money is, uh, it can be challenging. So it's a good, it's a good challenge though. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And you bring up an interesting point around talking to your customers, right? That's kind of the thing I know you, you posted a few weeks ago around, um, you know, you need to be relentless about the ROI you provide your customers, right? And you're mm -hmm. talking about a lot of people say, talk to your customers, talk to your customers, talk to your customers, but how do you approach specifically, right? Those discussions, what are you trying, what information are you trying to parse out of the discussion and what kinds of questions do you ask? Yeah. The, I would say the benefit of being in a revenue category, whether it's MarTech, sales tech, anything mm -hmm. is that you have to be tied to revenue in order to be 
successful. Yeah. So, you know, unless you're, you know, our value prop is not to save time, right? Where the, the quantifiable ROI here is not get six hours back in your day or in your week. Yeah. It's not that it's, it's drive more revenue. It's touch more influence, more revenue. So number one thing that has to happen, and you'll see this across the entire category is like integrations are king. You have to be able to integrate into the tech stack. It doesn't have to be every single piece of the tech stack. It just has to be the core piece. Like for us, you know, it's the marketing automation platform. We have to integrate into HubSpot, Marketo, Pardot. If you do that successfully, yeah, it's it sounds easy, but like getting people to do that is one thing. Getting people to actually put together reports and ROI and show that, you know, in our case, demos are touching revenue, are driving revenue, are leading to more conversions. People are converting in the demo or they're converting part of their journey includes the interactive demos, right? So like there's different ways that you can tie it to the ROI. But I think in SaaS, honestly, like if your value prop is is not time savings, if it's money driven, then like there's no other, you know, from what I've seen, there's no other great way to talk and show ROI other than have those integrations set up. It makes for an easy conversation, right? right. It's like, <laughs> you, you need these integrations, right? Like now before the integrations on a sales call, that's different, right? That's where you got to talk about all the different impacts that have happened across customers and, and stuff like that and get people to, to really believe in that. So that's a different approach. But as far as customers go, like integrations is the name of the game, especially if you're going to charge a higher price point. Yeah. Um, there is a threshold, right? You know, it's usually around 10K annual, I've noticed. It's kind mm -hmm. of like that magic number where if you're over 10K, you really need to see and show ROI. If you're yeah. under 10K, a lot of times, depending on size of company, it's a line item that people don't put as much uh, emphasis on. So mm -hmm. lack of ROI or slightly less visible ROI, people are yeah. more comfortable with, uh, which is interesting. And again, that's not always the case, but I will say that that's something that I've noticed across our product and category uh, in general. So, yeah, that's so that, that's interesting. You bring up the category because it was uh, demo automation was noted as being the number one fastest growing new category uh, on G two, right? So as the yeah. category continues to grow, do you see widespread adoption becoming the norm? Do you see it sort of replacing or enhancing the existing sort of inbound flow that a lot of B two B SaaS companies currently employ? Yeah, I think uh, the trickiest part has just been implementation yeah. of of the the demos but ultimately i do think that it'll be a core part of everyone's website it'll be you know it's not replacing anything it's not replacing video mm -hmm. um there's a lot of scenarios where it substitutes for video right so instead of like spending 10 20 30k on a really flashy product video you might do some sort of interactive demo instead or multiple interactive demos. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's already proliferated across the SaaS industry. You know, I, I don't know what the adoption is, but for the short period of time that it's been around, it's been pretty high. Um, the lack of adoption, honestly, 
has come from just the tech industry in general and the, uh, you know, the challenging, I'd say, times of the past year or two yeah. and the turnover, the budget cuts, all that stuff. So not necessarily not necessarily a, a bad thing, right? It's, it's what tech needs, but it has definitely impacted. It'll definitely have an impact on a new category like this, right? Um, so where it's seen as more of a net new opportunity, we have to kind of really reposition it a little bit as more of a more of an efficiency driver, right? So it's it's still a little bit of both, but you know nowadays you really have to think about efficiency more than just driving a ton of growth. And we take more of we we've always talked about both of those, but now we put more emphasis on the efficiency versus the net new growth. But yeah, it's definitely going to uh, continue to unfold. I think twenty twenty four will probably be one of the bigger years for the category now that it's it's I wouldn't say that it's matured because every product is still thinking through how they want the product to look where they want it to go. They're all feeling like they're probably hitting ceilings and thinking about how do I advance into different uh, departments or different categories or, you know, pricing models, go to market, all that stuff. So now that it has, now that people are more aware of it, um, I will say that it's probably going to be a, a bigger thing in, in 2024. And it's uh, it, the reason it caught on so quickly is because you throw these things on a website, people are like, whoa, what is this? Yeah. How'd you do it? Right. And that's a, that's a great growth hack, right? Like if you ever get the opportunity, if you're ever starting a company in which you can do some sort of viral lead generation because the product is so front end facing, you know, put some sort of way, you know, in our case, we put a watermark, uh, a small one, a really small watermark on all of our demos so that people are able to see where it comes from. And that was a big growth driver for us as well. So yeah, long winded way of saying, I think the category is going to be pretty, uh, you're going to see a lot of growth in 2024. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you, how do you push back against, you know, maybe, um, uh, objections such as you know in in b two b uh pricing transparency for example is one yeah. challenge other people don't want to show the product publicly how do you push yeah. back those sorts of objections yeah I mean we still get it a lot it's just the there is a there is a good chunk of the market that doesn't want to show their product uh yeah. you know and and, and I don't know if they would be classified as the late majority on the adoption scale, or if they're just, there's just a competitive, they just don't fall into, um, you know, an, uh, the ideal customer for a lot of folks, but yeah, there are a lot of folks out there who just, they're, they're competitively conscious. They're a little paranoid. They don't want to give away their secret sauce. Right. Now we, we, we handle that pretty well um you know you can take you can just build your tours with screenshots you're not giving away the code or anything like that mm -hmm. but so we, we've been able to manage um pretty well with that but yeah i think there's definitely going to come up become a point where that'll that'll eventually subside more and more you know that's it's no surprise that that is the case for a lot of individuals who not companies that don't want to show their product um, but there's a lot of PLG companies out there that 
do that, right? Just jump into our product, try it out, do your thing, right? Yeah. Um, so that sort of transparency is becoming more normal in the industry. But what people don't realize is how much like big enterprise tech is out there. Stuff mm -hmm. you've never heard of. Stuff yeah. it's just like there's a ton of it that it's so niche. And you know, it's not this flashy uh software that everyone's familiar with because we all use it right like that's such a small small percentage of the market most yeah. of it is more complex tech you know erps crms healthcare hr logistics construction finance all these big you know platforms that no one in our space and the marketing department is using but is it's everywhere out there. And those mm -hmm. are the ones that typically we work with more. Um, and it's usually only like very specific industries that are more conscious about showing off their product, like finance and healthcare. I've noticed are like the two biggest ones. And then there's also some compliance stuff in there as well. And like cybersecurity as well. But yeah, I think it'll definitely subside in the, in the coming year. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, so we objections on one side, right around uh, pricing and transparency there, product transparency. When you talk to the sales side of that, right? And you have, I think you you wrote recently, our SDRs are worried about sending out interactive demos because they think it's going to deter the prospect from taking a meeting, yeah. right? How do you, like going back to, you know, uh, you, you mentioned basically like sort of how the product integrates into that process and flow. How do you highlight that efficacy of that to a sale, a, a, an apprehensive sales team? Yeah. Well, you know, we usually only hear that from SDRs. Interesting. Not, not as much AEs so much. AEs are just like, I want to do everything I can to close a deal, not everything I can to get a meeting. Right. So like from an AEs perspective, they see impact and value in being able to share demos, maybe not necessarily right away, maybe not necessarily the first or second touch on a cold uh, email campaign, but they will send them and they will send them a lot. SDRs are usually the ones where it's like, I'm gold on getting a meeting. If I share demos, it might make them want to jump. I don't know. There's just, there's a little bit of hesitancy around that. I've always kind of subscribed to the idea, like if you're afraid of somebody not taking a meeting because you've shown them the product, yeah. then they are either not qualified, yeah. right? And you are selfishly just trying to get a meeting, right? Even though it's not qualified, uh, or there's some lack of confidence that you have in the product that you are showing and talking about. Yeah. Um, especially with companies that hate their UI or, you know, our app looks like crap, uh, stuff like that. But yeah, it's for the most part, we've been able to objection. I mean, we've gotten plenty of dealings with, with sales teams that haven't wanted to adopt it for that reason, but it's definitely calmed down. And once they start using it, uh, it doesn't take long before they realize, oh, this is actually helping. Yeah, um, I think that like, post you were talking. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think that post you were talking about was uh, about Warmly 
uh, mm-hmm. one of our customers, their customers of us too, they use their, um, they use demos a lot in the outbound process. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what the stat was, but it was like a pretty substantial lift in responses and meetings that they get from using it. Cause like, I mean, why, why not these days, especially it does depend on who you're going after in the industry, right? Like if you're in a, if you're, if you're selling to other tech, other SaaS, using and sharing demos, like is huge, right? Cause everyone's inundated with emails. They don't want to read the same BS text call to actions, you know, schedule a meeting here type of email, other industries that are maybe a little bit, you know, 10, 15, 20 years behind or something like that. Uh, a lot of times, I mean, those cold calling is still a thing, right? And, and, and emailing them is still a big thing. <clears throat> uh, but still, sharing demos is still a huge value add for, for them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the fact like the so many B2B companies still have an antiquated sales process. Like even yeah. if the company themselves is modernized in terms of their product offering, their messaging, so much of it boils down to request a demo, no pricing on the website, and you're going to wait for someone to email you. Like a lot of companies don't even have the option to self-schedule, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this, this excites me because it's it's customer-centric, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's it, Like you said, it goes back to serving one qualified leads, right? But also the time sales spends on unqualified meetings, right? Every yeah. hour, that's an opportunity cost. Right. That's a big thing that we're focused on this year mm-hmm. is uh, helping sales teams understand who their buyers are better before they chat with them mm-hmm. and reduce the number of unqualified meetings that they're, that they're having. Yeah. Um, so being able to send them demos earlier and find out who is interested and not interested, what they're interested in, just learn more about the potential buyer and the prospect uh, throughout the sales process before the discovery call, right after, you know, before a sales engineer has to spend a ton of their time just doing canned demos and digging into the product to find out later that it's, you know, not qualified. Um, So that is a, that is a big thing because most people don't buy the product, even the ones that do take demos and are interested, you know, most of the time it's 70% of them end up not going forward with someone or choosing something else. Right. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that to, to factor in. Yeah. So as you continue to sort of like build the brand, you know, you're pretty active on LinkedIn. I see you doing like interviews, uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. you're on Scrappy ABM, shout out to Mason. Uh, yeah. What, what are some of the strategies that you see you utilizing to differentiate yourself in this category? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, differentiation has been really hard in this category uh, because it's so new and it's so easy to do quick builds. Um, you know, somebody comes out with one feature, we can come out with that same feature. We come out with one feature, people can follow with that feature. So it's been there's been a lot of feature battles happening. Um, price points for a couple of folks have been low. Price points for a couple of folks have been really high. And we've typically fallen a little bit more in the middle. 
Um, so differentiation for us has been very focused on kind of the unique way that we approach building the demos, um, just how they're actually built versus how other folks build them. Um, and our customer success motion are using, using the fact that we have a lot of strategic support in this new category, which is something that a lot of folks are going to need. We've used that to our advantage. And then like, kind of go back to what I was saying earlier, <clears throat> we doubled down on integrations. So we didn't just do a few integrations or a couple integrations that, you know, you needed, like we went a little bit extra and we did scheduling integrations, form integrations, engagement data integrations, Slack, Zapier, um, Salesforce, obviously, um, yeah. and more to come, right? So we really focused on integrations there to make sure that we were able to capitalize on more market share effectively. And yeah, I mean, there's always a couple, there's always going to be a few features here and there. Um, mm -hmm. we've really zeroed in on the marketing use case and the marketing solution and, and website, especially we've built the product to really fit well into the website, whether it's a light box, whether it's embedded, um, so that engagement data flows in the iframe. So yeah. we've been able to successfully, uh, differentiate pretty well there, but at the same time, like it's, it's still been, it's still been really difficult. So we're kind of, we've got a good plan in 2024 for how we want to position ourselves in the category relative to a couple folks in the space. Um, so we're really excited for that kind of thinking through how to serve both sales and marketing, um, in very unique ways that other folks aren't doing it. So we'll see. It's, uh, we're excited for it. It should be, it should be good, but yeah, differentiation is hard. I think that's one thing that people get <clears throat> wrong, especially sales. Um, reps want to talk about how they're better. Reps love talking about how another competitor is worse. Yeah. Um, they don't even realize they're doing it. They think they're being nice, but they don't even realize uh, that they're doing it. The most important thing that drives someone to buy you over them is honestly different. Are you different? Or when you're creating a new product or creating a category or, you know, creating something, it's really more about being different. It has nothing to do with being better. People really just like choosing different, something that's different. Um, yes, price is always going to play a factor and you got to have certain feature requirements. But if you've got something, if you're approaching something in a different way, that's usually what drives uh, novelty and interest and excitement. And a lot of times that's what does the trick, you know, zero in on a niche, be different. And you'd be surprised how successful uh, your product will be because of that. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point because it brings to mind familiarity bias and it brings to mind the way people sometimes approach purchasing decisions in the same way they approach other people, which is to say, it's not always logical. You know, you call it different, right? And sometimes the big difference is experience and not necessarily better or worse so much as a person just grows to like something because they like it, right? And that mm -hmm. bias is going to lead the purchase decision in that instance yeah. over the specific ROI stats. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. It is, uh, it's an interesting 
philosophy to say the least <laughs> yeah there's, i mean I, there's more that goes into that obviously yeah. but uh, yeah are there any uh, any big trends right now across linkedin that you're seeing that you think are either not the move maybe misleading downright misleading or others that you think are really great trends that you're happy to see starting to make more of a, a headway hmm good question that is a good question i mean i'm not gonna <clears throat> outside of you know demos demo automation because <laughs> uh, that'll always be a thing but i mean as a as a founder as somebody who works with you know a lot of you know who works with the board and stuff like that the efficiency stuff is the number one thing that all companies are having to work on mm-hmm. um i see I'd be curious what happens here, but I'm seeing a lot of fractional. I'm sure you are too. I'm seeing a lot of outsourced stuff. Um, I'm seeing a, a lot of work is being done externally for a company, right? Whether it's an agency, freelancer, fractional. And I don't know how saturated it is or is going to become, but I'm curious to see how it goes because i've done freelance work in the past um i didn't have any sort of brand recognition personally or any personal brand or anything like that so and it but it's tough you know it's it's a lot riskier it's a lot it's a lot of work um Mm -hmm. and i'm seeing a lot of fractional leadership that to be frank i'm not interested in uh I'm not interested in hiring fractional leadership. I'm more interested in hiring fractional directors, fractional managers, fractional people that execute. Um, That's the thing that I noticed in 2023 was like fractional CMO, fractional CRO. That's a great thing. The executional C-suite. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, I thought, I think that's great. I'm sure there is a market for that. Um, I would think, though, in most people's cases, there's not a need for that. There's a need for people to do shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if you can find people who are just doing fractional work in which they'll go into your AdWords account, they'll go into your LinkedIn account, they'll go into your HubSpot and, and build stuff out, and they can balance the line between strategic and tactical and do stuff for you, I don't want somebody to come in and tell me high in the sky messaging and ICP and all this lingo dingo. I don't really, yeah, I don't care about that. I care about people who know that have that strategy in mind, but then are going to uh, log into my accounts and build stuff out, write something, do something. Um, that's honestly what I care about. So I have been seeing a little bit more of the, I'll call it like the fractional director role coming yeah. up, uh, which is good. I think that's really good. That's going to be uh, probably what happens a lot in 2024. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I've got just one more question for you, Andy, before we close yeah. it out. Do you have a hot take, you know, maybe an unpopular opinion, something you think a lot of people don't think about, you know, uh, I mean, what was it? 
I don't think it was it you or or, or or when we did the fireside chat with Anthony, remember Anthony Pieri at the oh that would have been um, Eric. Eric. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, his hot take, I would say, is also very much my hot take, which is uh, especially when it comes to messaging and website talk more about your features uh b2b websites b2b messaging SaaS. the the language that we use is just so it's so frustrating to hear yeah it's just so vague it's not believable increase your revenue three times you know get drop your cac by 50 percent it's just like it's becoming so diluted that and it's lazy. It's getting to the point where it's really lazy marketing and sales right now. I would say go to markets are just getting a little bit lazy. And you could tell based on a website. Like a website is the uh, mirror of your core messaging and how you approach things, I think, for the most part. Agreed. And so many, so many websites are just fluff city, you know, and it's just, it's hard to watch it. And they spend thousands of dollars on videos and those videos are fluff city. So I think, uh, people, we all just need to get a little bit more in the weeds, not be afraid to talk about features, stop watching, you know, Simon Sinek's start with why video from 20 years ago. It's good. It's great, but it really only applies to Apple and Google and companies that have these monstrous brands, right? Like it's important to know your why, but uh, if you jump on a demo with somebody and tell them why you exist for 10 minutes, um, you might annoy them, right? And you got to kind of cater to the the market right now, which is if you're on a demo with somebody, yeah, establish a connection, talk about your mission for a minute or two, and then get to it, you know? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of uh, impatience out there in the industry mm-hmm. with with messaging and what the hell it is that people do. And so obviously, you know, automated demos are going to help a lot with that. But at the end of the day, people need to use their words better uh and be more concrete and i will say uh if you need help with that there's a book called made to stick and there's a lot of there's a zillion books out there but that's been the one that i've always turned to for like how to make things memorable Mm -hmm. make people actually want to read and made to stick is a really good book that teaches you a good framework for how to do that Love it. Love it. Yeah. Uh, well, that I think a uh, great place to end it. Any final thoughts or anything you want to plug before we sign off? No, I don't think so. Um, no, this was good. If anybody wants to chat with me, check out Toriel, feel free. Toriel.com. Follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Collective Wisdom. And thank you, Andy, for being our guest today. Really look forward to seeing the great work you continue to do with Toriel. For those listening, if you're a demand marketer looking for a tight-knit community of demand gen experts, be sure to apply to our community, Demand Collective, at demandcollective.io. 